0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Welcome to a spotlight of some of our most important episodes of 2022. We'll be back with a summer series of special episodes on January 2nd and regular episodes from January 16. This year, the case that established the legal protection for people in the United States to choose to have an abortion has been overturned. Since this episode aired in June, 13 states have banned or restricted the access to abortion and the fight for access rights continues in courtrooms across the country. Today, we're revisiting this episode from the moment the US Supreme Court made a ruling that affected people who can become pregnant across the US with the author of Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World, El Hardy. In the last week, we've seen the US Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade, which is the legal precedent that protects the right to choose to have an abortion in the United States. Let's go back, if we can, to when Roe v. Wade was established in in the early 70s. What was the actual ruling back then?
1: And tonight, a CBS Evening News special report. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalised abortions. So, in 1973, Roe v. Wade came down on the Supreme Court and it protected a woman's fundamental right to privacy. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. It was a a woman's decision and a decision with her doctor whether or not she wanted to, to keep the pregnancy. Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. The right is certainly not absolute, but it certainly gave women a fundamental amount of autonomy over their health.
0: And it's that right that's that's now been overturned. And when that happened, it really seemed able to happen very, very fast. As soon as the ruling came down, a lot of US states were very quickly able to make abortion illegal. So how was that possible and why did it happen so fast?
1: Sure. So, they struck down Roe v. Wade, but they also struck down the affirming precedent, which is Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which came down in 1992. So, it really shows that this is a very concerted and considered and and long-term effort. So, a number of states had trigger laws that meant as soon as uh, Roe v. Wade and, and Planned Parenthood v. Casey were overturned, that it made abortion entirely illegal in this
0: state. Thirteen states, including Texas, previously passed trigger laws that ban abortion once Roe v. Wade is overturned. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch has
1: taken a step to activate a law that will ban most abortions in the state. ...decision means abortions will no longer be legal in Tennessee. The decision... And others are now working on Banning or strictly limiting abortion to, to the point where it is where it is impossible.
0: And hours after the Supreme Court released its opinion, the state officially banned all abortions except to save the life of the mother. There is no exception for rape or incest. So, joining me now is the Republican government. And when you say that this was a concerted, considered, and long-term effort, I mean, just how long-term is it, and and who is really behind this push to? Overturn Roe v. Wade to to wind back the right to abortion.
1: It's really worth going back to to understanding the origins of Roe v. Wade and the anti-abortion movement in the United States. The opposition to abortion, particularly between white evangelicals and and what we know today as the religious right, was never a, a white evangelical issue. It was a Catholic issue, and evangelicals, frankly, thought that Catholics were always a little bit weird. White evangelicals always thought of themselves as apart from and even above mainstream politics and society. It is one thing to espouse moral and religious values, another to translate them into votes. Men like Paul Wyrick, a conservative organizer who has been called the architect of the movement. He spends much of his time urging ministers to get out the vote. A Catholic activist named Paul Wayrick. he'd been trying to get white evangelicals in the tent. And
0: so what we have here is really
1: a new dynamics in American politics, with the social precinct being really the area where you can reach them. And of course, the way to reach them is through the the churches. White evangelicals often didn't vote. They just thought that they were apart from or, or above mainstream society. He'd been trying to get all sorts of issues, realizing there was this huge voting block of of people that they could get to come together and and create this this new right wing and and really push back against the the rising tide of liberalism. It was in the course of that conversation in Lynchburg where Paul Weirich made the famous statement to Dr. Falwell I believe there is a moral majority out there uh, ready to be organized. You know, this was a time of civil rights, of women's rights. Free ourselves! What do we want? And they felt very threatened by it. So they focus grouped a whole lot of issues again. And, you know, one thing you call up someone, you know, a God fearing white evangelical, probably in the South, and say, you know, all these different issues, prayer in schools. Yeah, yeah, we, we think that, that that should be an issue. But the one that really got people involved is when he said, hey, do you like killing babies? And they said, no, no, of course not.
0: Right and wrong don't change. Nothing is relative in God's economy. What was wrong a hundred years ago is wrong today.
1: And they decided that this was the issue.
0: Abortion has always been wrong. It will always be wrong. Pornography has always been wrong. It will always be wrong.
1: Immorality. To the point, it's, it is such a symbolic issue Still, even within this religious right, this conservative coalition today, that only about half of Republicans support banning abortion, even though this has become the the totemic issue of the religious right and even just the conservative right in America.
0: And so this small group of conservative Christian activists who formed what they call the moral majority, how did they become so influential to the point where we're now actually seeing Roe v.ersus Wade be overturned.
1: Sure. So what happened when when these groups got together? And they formed this group called the Moral Majority in 1979. 1979 was was just a pretty big year globally. There was um, the Iranian Revolution. There was petrol crises. And Ronald Reagan was, was really coming up in politics.
0: I can't tell you how... You have warmed my heart with your welcome, I'm delighted to be here today. Those of you in the National Association of Evangelicals are known for your spiritual and humanitarian work.
1: And he you know, started really getting involved with these very right-wing political activist groups.
0: Thank you for your prayers. Nancy and I have felt their presence many times in many ways, and believe me, for us they've made all the difference.
1: And so when the moral majority had gotten together and, and then Reagan came in in 1980, they had a seat at the table straight away.
0: I know what I'm about to say now is controversial, but I have to say it. This nation cannot continue turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the taking of some 4,000 unborn children's lives every day. That's one every 21 seconds.
1: What they were really successful at was organising, was understanding the levers of the state. So groups such as the Council for National Policy, known as the CNP, really got going in the early 80s. This is a very secretive, shadowy group that's membership is still supposed to be entirely secret. What they've done since the 80s is, is really push in institutions like universities and courts to get their people involved. They've had, you know, programs in universities to to, to get, you know, young law students, the best and brightest with conservative leanings, into their program, their particular way of thought, schooling them through internships and really basically indoctrinating extremists. The Republicans have just used every inch of power within their grasp, and that has really been pushed through by this Council for National Policy so when we're talking about the judges, you know, the three judges on, on the court who, who really changed the tide of the court, so Gorsuch, uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, they came through these CNP institutions. They were schooled from their time at university, all working towards this goal of, of overturning Roe v. Wade.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, Al, what exactly have the Democrats been doing this whole time? Because this isn't something that's happened overnight. It sounds like this is a plan that has been uh, unfolding over decades.
1: Yeah, look, it's um, it's really difficult to understand exactly what's been going on. They they just haven't wanted to to wield power in in the way that the Republicans have. What would you do at the federal level, not only to ensure access to abortion, but to make sure that the uh, judicial nominees that you will inevitably be able to pick? are true to the core tenants of Roe v. Wade. Well, the first thing i do as president is, is sign the Freedom of Choice Act. Uh, that's the first one. Barack Obama promised uh, when he was, was going for election in, in 2007, 2008, that he would codify abortion rights in federal legislation. Then I'm absolutely convinced we're not just gonna win an election, but more importantly, we're gonna transform this nation. Thank you very much. You. Which has always been something that pro-choice activists have really been fighting for. When he got into power and he had the ability to do it, he refused to do it. The Freedom of Choice Act is not my highest legislative priority. I believe that uh, women should have the right to choose. He didn't want to inflame tensions. Uh, But uh, I think that the most important thing we can do to tamp down some of the, uh, the anger surrounding this issue uh, is to focus on those areas that we can agree on. Uh, and that's uh, that's where I'm going to focus. He was a very cautious guy, I think. He was pretty media savvy and he just didn't want to stir up the opposition while he had the opportunity to, so he he refused to. The Democratic power base in Washington is extremely old. They are pretty conservative kind of people. They just don't seem to want to grasp the moment. And to really take a radical view of what's happening and and an urgent view in response to Roe v. Wade. Nancy Pelosi, who is is leader of the House, read a poem and and got the Democrats, you know, they all came out and sang God bless America on the steps. Joe Biden said he wasn't going to do anything radical to to overturn what had just happened. This is a sad day for the country, in my view, but it doesn't mean the fight's over. The only way we can secure a woman's right to choose... Is for congress to restore the protections of roe v wade as federal law no executive action from the president can do that he's known as some of this great senate negotiator since he's been uh, in the senate in in the 70s but i just don't think that he really understands how much it's it's changed you know people are going to die women who have ectopic Pregnancies who need emergency life-saving surgeries are going to die. This is literally life or death and the Democratic Party just doesn't seem to be able to rise to, to the challenge of the moment. Republicans aren't, aren't going to sit down and, and play ball. They uh, are wielding whatever power they have and, and now they have this extreme authority through the courts and and we're going to see a lot of other decisions in a similar vein that's really just completely rocking 40-odd years of progress in people's rights.
0: We'll be back in a moment. This year, The
1: Saturday Paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read The Saturday Paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper,
0: the whole story. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change, change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places, they're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, in the wake of, of the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision, there are some very clear repercussions for people seeking abortions. But what else might happen? What other precedents could be overturned? And what does this, I suppose, mean for other rights that people up until now might have taken for granted under the Constitution.
1: So in the concurring opinion that a lot of people are looking at, Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that the court should consider reviewing some other landmark court cases in the field of of civil rights, really. So Griswold versus Connecticut came down in 1965, which guaranteed married couples the right to use contraception. There's Obergfell v Hodges in 2015, which legalised same-sex marriage. So these are really uh, pretty fundamental uh, rights that, that people, I guess, considered locked in that, that are now under threat. There's a real grassroots movement happening in the United States at the moment. We're seeing you know, self-described uh, Christian fascists going to harass gay bars and, and gay pride events. We're seeing a real emboldening of, of religious extremists and, and conservative extremists who are looking to go and overturn these issues, you know, by force with whatever means they have, which is, uh, you know, gun rights, which are are now, thanks to the Supreme Court as well, pretty much entirely unrestricted again. So, I mean, what we're really seeing effectively is, is what we thought of the rule of law just going out the window. This is the Wild West again. They see this decision as so much more than overturning abortion because that's correct. This is emboldening them. They have the court on their side now and the court is really the ultimate authority in America. So now they are really considering, you know, that the courts are the root of their power and they believe that they have control of them and and this decision shows that, that they do.
0: Mm. And can you tell me a bit more about the, the conservative extremists who are pushing for these kinds of of changes and and to what extent is this i suppose a purely religious agenda and and what is their vision for for America that this this group of people have
1: yeah look that's a that's a great question they want a an America that has very little federal oversight they're really coming for any legislation that they don't like Interestingly enough, I think Roe v Wade isn't even the the apex yet. We're probably heading there in a couple of days this week. In the next few weeks, the U.S. Supreme Court will issue a major decision on the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to set strict limits on greenhouse gas emissions from coal fired power plants. It will impact the fight against climate change and efforts to protect communities already feeling the effects. Tonight, we're in the. There's a huge decision that's coming down from the Supreme Court called West Virginia versus EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Authority. As climate costs mount, West Virginia's political leaders and energy companies are fighting to defend coal at the U.S. Supreme Court, which will decide this spring how far the federal government can go in regulating greenhouse gas emissions from coal-fired power plants. And it's believed that they're going to to strike down the right of the EPA to um, impose environmental regulations. It has incredible, um, potential to affect how EPA and other agencies write regulations for years to come and it's really going to to turn America even further into a country that that's ruled by its courts you know people will will then you know potentially just have to take fossil fuel companies to to court to say that you know you're you're ruining our future and sue them it's just going to become a country of of torts and and suing each other and what what it's you know, really doing then is, is just throwing America into this absolute chaos. It's really going to become issues of states' rights. So I think that we will see liberal states, you know, your Californias and, and your New Yorks, uh, really just start to bring in their own legislation and it's going to, you know, what is the United States of America anymore? It's it's a very powerful military uh, and not much else. Uh, I don't have have a crystal ball myself, so I'm not sure what the future is, but but it really is genuinely throwing the future of the United States of America into question.
0: Mm -hmm. And Elle, just finally, are there lessons here for the rest of the world, for Australia, when we watch rights and access get wound back in this way in, in what is the world's biggest liberal democracy?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'd start by saying the world's formerly biggest liberal democracy. I I don't think you can call America a democracy anymore. And I think the real lesson here is that progress isn't linear. Once you affirm rights, um, particularly civil rights, particularly contentious ones, they're not locked in for life. These rights can be overturned, whether by the courts or legislation. And you know, the decision now in America has really emboldened this activist' right that has been fomenting for 40 years, to do both, to do it by court, but, but also now but by legislation. It also shows what can be stirred up by a relatively small group of people who do not share the views of, of the majority you know, that that things like democracy is is sort of a, a cudgel that they might beat others with, but they don't necessarily believe it. And, you know, unfortunately, we catch a lot of American stuff downstream. And are our courts going to be politicised? You know, our High Court's been fairly apolitical appointments in the past. What if we get a similar kind of council for national policy pushing through agendas, really schooling young activists, people who go on to be judges in, in particular ways of thinking. So I really think it's, it's just worth seeing what we can preserve in our institutions. And I think culturally, this kind of stuff just isn't gonna fly um, in, in somewhere like Australia. But I think it's also, you know, considering that, that activism maybe isn't just for change. Activism might have to be sometimes to preserve the gains that, that you've made. I think that there's a lot of work to to do and and to certainly, I think for everyone in political life, in in activist life, to look onto America as a cautionary tale. Mm.
0: Elle, thank you so
1: much for your time. No worries, I wish I could have been here for for something more more pleasant.
0: (laughs) As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post sign up at the saturdaypaper.com.au/newsletters